0: Join me for the reading of the scripture Mass preaching on. Um, it's going to be Judges 2 11 through 15. I'll give you five seconds to find that in your Bible. Otherwise, you can read along up there. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the land into the hand of their surrounding enemies, so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. This is the word of the Lord.
1: I know you're all super encouraged by that reading. (laughs) (laughs) Judges is actually one of my favorite books. I've mentioned several times since coming to pastor here. Author David Foster Wallace giving a, a commencement speech talked about the uniqueness of humans is that they get to choose what to worship. David Foster Wallace does not put faith in anything that we would call spiritual or that he would call spiritual, and yet he points that out in his speech. What if that is the most important question? Who and what do we worship? The book of Judges, um, which is a very interesting book. It's frankly rated NC-17. I'm not kidding. Read it if you want to test my thoughts on that. Shows us how wildly destructive it is to worship anything other than the one true God. And the judges shows how wildly prone we are to do so, and I spent a lot of this week grappling with the differences between the way that this worked 3,400 to 3,000 years ago and how it works today, and I'm convinced that the New Testament has so many metaphorical warnings about worshiping something other than God that I can't spend a lot of time talking about how different it is now. Though technology and the world and communication and all are very, very different, humans are very much the same. And throughout the uh, New Testament, this is, uh, this is um, our moves of faith are either towards God in allegiance and faith, or they're away from him. There's no middle ground. There's no coasting. There's no, like, well, whatever, because we're either literally choosing life or choosing death with first our allegiance and then our behavior. Judges is set in between um, the time of the Exodus and the time that uh, Israel eventually becomes a uh, monarchy. This is a time where they're supposed to be functioning as a church-state nexus or a theocracy, uh, Joshua's generation, if you heard of Joshua, uh, he's Moses' successor, did pretty good, second generation did pretty good, and then it starts to really fall apart, and for a whole bunch of reasons. And what, what, what we often do, I think, when reading the Bible is we think that the people sound kind of silly. We think that people sound unintelligent. We think we would have done better. We would have known better. We would have just stayed. We would have continued worshiping God and attending to the things of him. And I just think that's arrogant. I think we're just as prone to worship other things as the Israelites, as the the disciples who misunderstood Jesus so often. And Jesus is almost... Entirely gracious and kind with them, even when he also needs to be stern, because humans are, in fact, this prone to start worshiping other things. And what's more important than that is noticing God, who always pursues his people, always hears his people, always is grieved when they're in pain, even when in the book of Judges they cause that pain on themselves. So God appoints judges throughout this book, and this happens throughout the scriptures. It happens in a specific way in the book of Judges, but it happens throughout the scriptures that God pursues individuals who then lead the people back to a worship of God and a care for neighbor, because the problem with an idol is not that we're worshiping that, therefore God's not getting his due, though that's true. The problem is when we're worshiping an idol, we start to be formed by that, and we end up harming Neighbor, dishonoring and harming ourselves, and end up harming the neighbors in our life. God appoints judges when His people flee, and we are always fleeing. We're either fleeing into the embrace of God, where there is actual rest for our soul and joy and peace, or we're fleeing away from him. We've bought into some other lie or some other group of lies, and ultimately we think we know better. What the people of God were, by the third generation here that the judges picks up on, what the people were doing is they were neglecting the worship of God. They were beginning to worship the idols of the religions around them in Canaan, and what's even worse, and this, some of this is happening in, in Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, or not Deuteronomy, excuse me, Exodus, Numbers, and Joshua. But what was not happening was instead of driving um, those nations out, the nation of Israel was enslaving them, which economically makes a lot of sense. But is it a good idea in God's economy? No. And did he, in fact, command them not to do that? Yes. And so God allows them to then be taken over multiple times by the people they were enslaving. For us, what it would mean to neglect the worship of God are the ordinary means of grace. And that is a phrase that I I just don't know if it means much to you. But if you're a follower of God, if your allegiance is in Jesus, the ordinary means of grace are your lifeline of life. It looks boring and silly perhaps to the world, but regular worship with the people of God, regular community, and then your purpose as one made in his image, given good works to do that he has prepared beforehand. Our day camp theme verse is one of my favorite verses in the scriptures. Uh, This is why I changed the space today. Those of you that are new, this is not normally what this space looks like. Normally, it's a little more focused on the stage. And what's the problem with that physically? Am I the center of your life? (laughs) I, I have massively failed these people. It's a battery issue, it's a battery one, within
0: reason. Test. Are
1: we good? of the time, it's my fault. This is that 9%. But I actually listened and did what they said, which makes it a lot less uh, disjointed. Right, Joseph? Right. (laughs) The reason I changed this space is the ordinary means of grace direct our minds and our emotions and our words and our prayers towards the cross, towards the table where we receive the elements, and towards one another because you're never asked to go it alone. And you're given a family that you would never choose, but who nevertheless will accompany you on this journey and remind you of the things and the ways and the purposes of God. God appoints judges when his people flee. And if you've been listening in, by attending church or through the live stream, you caught any of these sermons, especially Exodus and Numbers and Joshua, and you're thinking, this seems like Jurassic Park episode five, where the people are so sure that they know better than the ones before them. And you know how it's going to end very, very, very poorly. We think we know better. We think we're smarter, which is part of the reason that we judge people in the text if we study it, and and we turn to other idols. I was looking this morning at my toothpaste. I kid you not, 35 promises on my tube of toothpaste. And you're wondering what toothpaste? It's Tom's of Maine, and it's great. But literally on the toothpaste, it says, join the revolution. I believe having to do with recycling, but it's offering me purpose. It's offering me a part in a story. What a car's promise, freedom. Do you ever notice it's not freedom to anywhere? It's just freedom to be out there spending a lot on gas. What does a second home or a con- or a consist- or, um, vacationing all the time try to promise? Rest. How do we always feel when we come back from vacation? Exhausted. Not because vacations are not important, And the reason I bring up all three of them in a row is each one is probably not an idol in and of itself. Each one is a symptom of the idol of 2022 living in this area. Promising things that can speak peace to our heart that never, ever can. I think my soap has like 600 promises on it because it's Dr. Bronner. I mean, have you ever seen such a wordy kind of soap in your life? When we notice that, we still have to buy toothpaste. Most of us still need a car. We all need to rest, and vacationing from work is important. But there's a way that we turn to those things that is destructive to us and ends up being destructive to our community, either through our absence or through us believing other things that seep out of us. And there is no option of middle ground. We can't just forsake the idol that the toothpaste is talking about. We must choose another place to put our allegiance of purpose. Am I gonna find purpose in the recycling of this toothpaste bottle? No, am I still gonna recycle it? Yes. I still need a car, yes, but there's an energy to it. I think you all know what I'm talking about. And now we get to my favorite part of the book of Judges, which is the people God chooses. Have you read the book of Judges? When I was a kid and people were telling me all the time, you need to read your Bible, occasionally I would be like, fine, and I would turn to Judges. And the reason is God's choices are so unexpected. They're so like Him. They're so on the margins of society. They look odd as leaders would look, especially 3,000 years ago. The first guy that gets a lot of text, not the first judge, but the first one who gets a lot of text in the Bible is Ehud. You guys remember Ehud? He was prejudged by the world because he looked different. I can only relate to this one a little bit because I'm a relatively normal-ish looking person in this part of the world. But I've been prejudged by how I looked. What about you? Ehud was. Ehud was. You ever been prejudged for your gender? Second big judge, Deborah. Doesn't say much about how she became a judge. Tells us who her husband was. Tells us that the entire nation esteemed her as a wise prophetess. She was prejudged. My th- the third judge to get a lot of text prejudges himself through his anxiety. Judges 6 through 8 is the story of Gideon who gets the new name Jerubbabel, and he's the one that tests God and argues with God like a lot of the people that God calls to himself. He's nervous and doesn't believe he should do it and is anxious and asks God to do a bunch of stuff. And if you read the story, you just see his anxiety. God, I'm going to put a fleece on the ground. The ground needs to be dry. The fleece needs to be wet. And what does Gideon do? Those of you familiar with the text, he rings it out until he fills an entire bowl of water. Isn't that a picture of us prejudging ourselves as not strong or good or capable of the good that God wants us to do in the world? Many tests God again. Jephthah is one of my favorites because he is prejudged because of his family, not anything he did or didn't do. I don't mind sharing with you that in junior high and high school and college, that was very much a part of my story. Jephthah's family kicked him out because he was illegitimate. And then there's Samson, who is uh, rightly judged, but for his blind spots and weaknesses. Probably the most famous judge because his story is so cinematic. And their stories are so fun. Do you know what Ehud did? He was left-handed, and they considered that a, a problem at the time, which is why it's mentioned in the text. And um, the Moabite king, Eglon, taken over the Israelites. And Ehud convinces everybody that he's insignificant, and they all leave the room, and he stabs the king. And it's a graphic description of him stabbing the king. And then he leads the nation of Israel. And Ehud is the most effective judge. The land had, the peace, for the, had peace for the greatest number of years after. Deborah's story is fantastic because she sits under this tree and that's where people would come to her for wisdom But God also raised up a judge alongside her named Barak who was a terrific military leader And God told him to lead the the nation of Israel against the army And Barak's like, I'm not going unless Deborah goes Deborah's like, fine, I'll go, I'm paraphrasing And because Barak doesn't go by himself like he was supposed to God gives the killing of the king to another female judge named Jael. And this is probably a rated R story. Not gonna tell all of it, but I encourage you to read it. And then God gives to Deborah and to Barak a song about God rescuing them again and again. Gideon's story is really fun. He has 32,000 troops. He's an anxious leader, but also a good and strong leader. What I had forgot about that story is his dad makes a great speech. I think Gideon's story would do well in film. Like, good dad, good speech, confident, put the people back in their place. He has 32,000 troops, and God says, tell anybody that wants to go home to go home. Probably not going to help Gideon's anxiety, but he's still trusting in the Lord. 22,000 of them go home. Take the 10,000 down to the river and have them drink water. And the ones who cup with their hands, like I think most of us would do, they go home. And the ones who lick the water up like a dog... They stay, so 300 stay, and God routs this massive army after he tells Gideon how to scare them in the middle of the night. Jephthah wasn't appointed as a judge by God. The people went to him because it was clear that he knew how to lead people. Jephthah was brilliant, knew the history of Israel, also very rash and foolish, and there's some stories that are, that are tricky in the narrative And then I think you know the story of Samson, and you know his weaknesses and blind spots for the opposite sex. And if you're wondering where the good stories are in the Scripture, because, you know, to go from Exodus to Numbers to Joshua to Judges, these stories are interesting— and beautiful, and we see God continuing to pursue his people. The good stories are always when Christians are not in power or followers of God are not in power. In the Old Testament, that's Daniel and Esther and Nehemiah and Ezra when they're not in power but still act like followers of Christ. In the New Testament and beyond, that's in the oppression of Rome, the story of Paul and the disciples, when it was mostly, though there was variance in this, illegal to be a Christian. You'll see it in the next sermon of Ruth. Beautiful story of a foreign woman and a faithful Israelite following God and trusting him. God appoints judges when his people flee. His choices are unexpected, and that reminds us who he is. Those five stories that I just love. I love the stories of Ehud, Deborah, and Barak, Gideon, Jephthah, and Samson. The last three have some serious problems. And they remind us who God is. He always hears his people. He always sees beyond how the world would look at those individuals, and he sees their strength and their beauty and the good they can bring to the world, regardless of how they esteem themselves, like Gideon, how the world esteems them because of their family, like Jephthah, how they might judge, how they might be judged through their weaknesses and blind spots. God also gives the freedom to worship. Whom we and they choose, which means experiencing the pain of worshiping things that cannot deliver what only God can. In Luke chapter fifteen, Jesus tells three stories, each about lost things, each involving great rejoicing, and each offering that there are but two ways to do life. And run away from God, or we can flee into his Restful arms. There are actually multiple ways of running away from God, but there is only one way, and it's through affection and allegiance to Him to rest in His arms. And we see the nation of Israel do that and fail to do it and do it again and fail to do it and do it again. And we have the stories of Jesus that tell us how to do that by faith in Him. And the offer, the truth is there's no middle ground. The offer is joy and peace and a guide to right living. That's the offer of the kingdom. All three of those stories are kingdom stories, and that's the offer. And the alternative is ways of death. Not receiving the peace from worshiping God. Not receiving the community of faith, though imperfect, we desperately need. Not receiving purpose, the good works that he's prepared ahead of time for us. Reflected in challenging and violent ways in the judges and told throughout the story of the scripture That is God's offer and his freedom that we do not have to worship him But we get to I am going to pray for us and then those of you with children that receive the Lord's Supper During the next song will be your opportunity to get them and bring them back here Um, And I'll give some instructions after this next song, and after I pray. God, we are tempted every day to worship things other than you, to choose death instead of life. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would guide us away from that and back towards you and one another and the purpose you have for us as your followers. We ask that as we continue to sing and as we receive the sacrament, we would sense your strengthening power and grace and goodness within us as we trust you. Amen.